Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded on the 2nd of June 2018, and I'm Joe. And on this episode I'm going to be speaking to Richard Brown from OpenSUSE, but first of all I'll be speaking to Florent Revest from Asteroid OS, which is an operating system for smartwatches. So let's get straight on with that. So thank you very much for joining me, Florent. Thank you. So I've asked you to come on and talk about Asteroid OS version 1.0, which uh, is quite the milestone. So first of all, congratulations for that. Well, thanks a lot. That was quite a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. It's come quite a long way since I first tried it out. When I first heard about it, I put it on my Sony Smartwatch 3 and Bluetooth didn't work. So that was kind of a very short test of it. But now Bluetooth is working. But um, it's the least supported of the many watches that you have. How many do you have it available for now? So on the website, you can download Asteroid West for about, just about eight watches. At some point, there was uh, another watch, but the support uh, got broken um, in time. I should probably explain what Asteroid OS is. It's, um, it's an alternative for Wear OS, isn't it? Um, it's, it's kind of like taking a Windows PC and installing Linux on it. Um, this is taking an Android watch and putting a Linux-based OS on it. That's pretty much the point of the project, but usually I try not to describe Asteroid OS as um, in opposition to Wear OS, but as something on its own. And I will say that Asteroid OS is just an open source operating system for smartwatches, independently from Wear OS or whatever. Okay, and so it is proper Linux, isn't it? It's System D, Open Embedded, Qt, Wayland. Exactly. So the point was that I wanted the dream platform for developers. Uh, and I picked the technologies I wanted to play with. So basically, yeah, Wayland and uh, everything you can expect from a modern Linux system, but on a watch. Even to the point where you can run Docker on it. <laughs> that's quite a funny one. Uh, so that's a community member who um, got interested in running Docker and Kubernetes on his watch. And um, he got a demo running. He gave a presentation at DockerCon, I guess. Uh, that was That brought quite a lot of attention to the project, which was quite nice. So presumably you could run more or less anything. You could run a web server or um, a Samba server or anything on there. Yeah, pretty much. It's not completely the point of the project. I mean, that that's not where I focus my uh, my time. But it's kind of a, um, uh, like a cool side effect of having a full Linux system on your watch. Yeah, yeah. So to what extent are there Android underpinnings? Does it have the Android kernel or is it um, a completely generic Linux kernel? So that's a good question. The kernel is still the one from Android because you need to have lots of uh, device drivers that are usually only provided by the device vendor. And uh, you don't have that in mainline Linux. So you kind of need that. Uh, And also in the user space, uh, there is a couple of blobs coming from Android that are used uh, thanks to a library called libhybris. Oh, yeah. But apart from that, it's like completely uh, different from Android. Yeah, well, it does feel very different. Um, and as you say, being able to run things like Docker and you know being able to hack it completely like that, I know that's not the point of it, but that does kind of illustrate how completely Linux is. So that, that's really cool, man. Um, so why is it that my device isn't that well supported? And I presume it's not because of lack of trying. Is it sort of lack of drivers and stuff Is it because they're proprietary blobs? Or wh- why is that? I am the maintainer of this Sony Smartwatch 3. So if you need to, co- to complain to someone, this is me. Okay, well, I'm complaining now. <laughs> Make it work. <laughs> so basically, the Sony Smartwatch 3 is different from the others because it uses a Broadcom system on chip. Right. While the other watches uses a Qualcomm system on chip. 
So most of the hardware adaptation is uh, different from the other smartwatches. And uh, obviously, when I spend time trying to um, um, improve the hardware support of Asteroid OS, I focus on the seven other smartwatches, which share pretty much the same hardware, uh, than on the Sony Smartwatch 3. And uh, so, yeah, the Sony Smartwatch 3 proved to have many challenges with the screen, uh, with the GPU, the Bluetooth was quite a pain as well. Um, and I think haptic is broken now. Yeah, that's the one thing that I'm missing is haptic because that's the the kind of point of a smartwatch to me because I'm not really interested in all the apps and all that. I just want notifications on my wrist. I want phone completely silent and a wrist that just vibrates when I have a notification, have a quick look at it, dismiss it, or, or get my phone out and reply to it. Uh, and without haptic, it makes it kind of not really feasible as a daily driver, unfortunately. Sure, I completely get your point, but um, it all comes down to having time for all of those watches. And um, as you may know, I am a student, so I have limited amount of time to spend on Asteroid OS. Uh, so I need to pick carefully what tasks I should be working on. And uh, the Sony Smartwatch 3 has been kept low priority for me because it's not that used anyway in the community and uh, because of the problems I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So how many people are actually working on Asteroid OS? Is it just you? Or? I would say it's mainly me maintaining the OS. I do get a fair amount of contributions from uh, mostly translators. I would say around 90 translators. There should be uh, 20 languages fully supported for the 1.0 release thanks to those translators community. Oh. I also get uh, contributions from designers. For instance, if you have seen the uh, release article, there was a nice video attached to it. I am not the author of that video. Uh, it's a designer from Ukraine working on this. Um, so also for the device porting, uh, I cannot afford to work on all of those watches. Again, because I'm a student. <laughs> uh, so there are device porters who have watches that I don't have. And uh, there is a porting guide on the website that, that they can follow, and then they can make Asteroid West available for a new watch. Well, also a community contributing watch faces. All in all, it should be around 100 contributions included in Asteroid West. So it's not only me, but most of the development work is done by me. Okay, so presumably you would quite like some help then with development. Obviously, there, there is a uh, getting involved page on the website. And uh, on the IOST channel, we are always trying to uh, welcome newcomers. Uh, there are lots of documentation and guides to let um, new interested uh, persons join the community and the effort we are doing. So in terms of the future, now you've got this 1.0 release out. What what comes next? Because there's quite a lot of apps on there already, you know, the calculator and, um, you know, various things like that, as well as notifications. So what's going to be the focus going forward? Is it more devices? Is it um, making the existing devices work better? Or is it the core OS and more apps and things? My main focus is to improve the core OS. Obviously, I still welcome new ports and uh, fixing features in the existing ports. Uh, but the, 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 um, the agenda I fix for Asteroid OS is mostly focused on the core OS. And my priority is on the features that are asked by the community. Uh, the one that is asked the most often is always on display. Yeah. This is quite a lot of work, actually, because you need to make sure the CPU is not running while the screen is running. And for now, the architecture of Asteroid OS isn't uh, really prepared for that. So that's going to be, well, an interesting challenge, which is 
kind of the point of Asteroid West for me. Um, and also useful features for the users. Yeah, always on display would be the other thing that I would want as well as haptic, because that's the good thing about the, the Sony one um, that I've got. It, it's, it can have the time on all the time. You don't have to make the display light up. It's just kind of there all the time. It, I think it, it's got some low power mode or something. Um, but And also, well, that reminds me, battery optimizations must be a big one as well, because um, it kind of doesn't last quite as long as Android Wear, does it? So that's quite... the. the the thing you just mentioned is quite specific to the smartwatch free as well. Uh, so the Sony model that is not super well supported. I will say that on pretty much all the other watches, we get uh, the same battery life and sometimes better than Android Wear. All right, cool. Wear, Wear OS. So I'm sorry you experienced that with the Sony smartwatch free. But again, it's a hardware um, compatibility problem. Yeah, how dare you give me this free thing that doesn't work completely perfectly all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that uh, occurred to me was if you've got this um you know Qt and Wayland and System D and proper Linux could that then be used on other devices like maybe a tablet or even a phone um obviously you don't necessarily have the time to do that now but in theory if there were people interested in that could they make that happen do you think So funnily enough uh, when I started working on Asteroid I had no smartwatches and I had no interest in smartwatches I just wanted to see how much I could tweak Android to change it. And uh, I was targeting phones. Uh, but when I got something working with uh, the whole Wayland plus the stack, I realized that there are already quite a lot of projects doing that. Um, I, at that time, there was obviously Ubuntu Touch from Canonical, but also uh, Sidefish OS from Yolla. And uh, there is a community project attached to... Most, related to Selfish OS called Nemo Mobile. And they do exactly what you're talking about. So they, they have pretty much the same stack and they, they develop apps that are well adapted for phones. So instead of trying to run Asteroid OS on, uh, on a phone, I would advise to try Nemo Mobile instead. But yeah, technically that would be possible. So one thing that I've noticed uh, is that smartwatches are really only popular with geeks and nerds and Linux people and you know tech people, whereas uh, there's something very similar, which is the Fitbit, which is uh, ostensibly a health tracker or fitness tracker. I mean, they are basically smartwatches, but um, it's kind of not really uh, a thing that normal people are into. So is that going to be a focus going forward for Asteroid OS to get some of that health and fitness tracking so that you can attract kind of more of a mainstream audience? So most of the, um, how can how should I say, cheap devices, like the Fitbit uh, um, health tracker you're talking about, uh, they don't have the capabilities to run a full Linux system. So I have no interest in trying to run Asteroid OS on those devices because it just wouldn't work. But when it comes to health features as a whole, uh, some of the smartwatches Asteroid OS is already running on have heart um, rate monitor capabilities. And this is something I would really like to integrate into Asteroid OS in the near future. Yeah, I think that that would definitely help adoption with it because... It's what a lot of people use it for. I have no interest in that. I think my watch can do that stuff, but I've never even bothered and beyond a bit of um, step tracking or whatever. But for me, I just want notifications. Uh, really, what it boils down to is I want to be in situations with people and not look rude by getting my phone out when I get an email. I want to just glance at the wrist, 
and then know, okay, that's not something I have to deal with right now. Um, but I think that I'm not normal. I think most people do want that fitness stuff. And so it, it would seem sensible to, to try and target that. I mean, how far off is that, do you think? Again, it brings me back to priorities and uh, how to schedule the development of the OS. And uh, for now, I was focused on having a core platform running, having the basic features ready, like good um, battery life and so on. So heart rate monitor was far from my radar. And I haven't really started working on this. So I haven't had the time to look at the heart rate stack on Android or the Linux kernel. And this is something that I'm really looking into for the future. But as of today, I cannot say how difficult it would be to integrate. Okay, fair enough. Um, so there was a crowdfunder for a watch called the Connect Watch, which was running Asteroid OS, um, but that only got about half its funding. Was that anything to do with you, or was that someone who just took it and was going to put it on a Chinese watch? So I was actually involved in that. Um, so this is someone from um, Montauban, which is a city close to where I live. He got in touch with me and said he wanted to uh, create a company and um, create a crowdfunding for smartwatch running Asteroid OS. So obviously it got my attention. I was doing consulting for that company and I managed to get Asteroid OS running on the uh, reference hardware they got from China. But when they started uh, their crowdfunding campaign and uh, I started to uh, do some communication from the Asteroid OS community point of view regarding their project, I kind of realized that they were not doing things right. Uh, there was lots of communication and organization problems, also financial problems. So when I realized that the projects would fail, um, I didn't want the community to waste money on that. So I stopped communicating uh, for ConnectWatch and I kind of left the project die, uh, which I still believe was a good choice because, um, I, well, for instance, I never got paid for what I've done on this project. Uh, and it just disappeared completely when the crowdfunding got finished. So I'm just glad that it ended up this way because the community didn't lose a single penny on this. And well, I wasted a fair amount of time of my life on this project. But as long as the community wasn't hurt by this, it's all good. And it was good experience for you as well, presumably. Yeah, that as well. So are there any plans to do anything similar and actually get a, a proper watch that's running Asteroid OS out of the box? As of today, there are no plans for that. I see. Is that maybe in the future? or? Yeah, probably. I'm still doing consulting, and if a company pops up and um, and wants to develop something, I will still be ready to work on. Uh, also, something worth mentioning is that uh, the work I have done for the Connect Watch making Asteroid OS run on, media, on cheap MediaTek hardware from China is still usable and um, it will be much easier now to get Asteroid OS running on OEM uh, device from China. But aren't MediaTek pretty bad with updates and um, driver support um, in the long term? Unfortunately, they are. And uh, most of the mobile vendors are. Meaning that uh, even if you get a Qualcomm smartwatch uh, running Wear OS and you put Asteroid OS on it, well, you still get the vendor support for the kernel. Um, so as the Asteroid OS community still maintains the, the core OS, but you get stuck with the old kernel that they provide. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's one of the reasons that I pretty much stopped using my Sony smartwatch three was because of, um, was it crack the Wi-Fi one and Blueborn, And I just thought it's, uh, it's affected by two pretty major vulnerabilities. Um, but because you're using the Android stuff underneath, it means that, um, they're not necessarily going to get patched then. Yeah, and that's also the point of the community because we try to maintain an easy way to compile the OS, to patch it, and uh, people interested in uh, well, hacking their smartwatch. So anyone can just um, set a pull request to Meta Tetra Hybris and get a fix for the security problems uh, of the Sony smartwatch free. Also worth mentioning, uh, when it comes to the Bluetooth subsystem, I use Linux backport to integrate uh, the Bluetooth subsystem from newer kernel. So I, uh, Asteroid OS also includes uh, quite a lot of work to um, improve the, the situation of the vendor kernel, but it's not perfect. So do you think that it is more secure then than just the, the old Wear OS that's been abandoned on it? I would say so. Obviously, it's always better than something abandoned. So I, I noticed uh, on the blog, I think, uh, there was some meetups that happened, but there hasn't been one for a while. Was that to do with the Connect Watch, or was that just an unrelated thing? And are you going to have more meetups soon? There was one in London that I didn't even know about. I would have come and, uh, and met the other members of the community. That would have been quite fun indeed. Uh, well, it's nothing to do with the Connect Watch, actually. The, the, the latest meetup we had was for the Connect Watch announcement. Um, it's just that, uh, usually I organize those meetups and I organize them whenever I come to a big city, such as when I come to Berlin or Brussels or, or, um, London. Um, so for instance, we had huge, uh, Asteroid West meeting a couple of months ago for Fos for FOSDEM. Oh yeah. Uh, where we had, uh, I would say 20 persons, uh, coming to a restaurant. That was really nice. Um, so no, the, those meetups are still happening. I just need to be going to big city. <laughs> okay. Well, you should try and come to London soon, man, and we can uh, meet up and have a pint. Sure. I hope so. Is there anything else that you want to mention then in terms of how people can help out with the project? Well, if anyone is interested, just go to the asteroids.org website and there is a get involved section where you can uh, be introduced to the various tasks, um, that need work on the OS. And also there is a documentation that extensively describes uh, everything you can do with Asteroid OS. So feel free to jump in and say hi on IRC. Cool. Well, it was great to have you on and um, hopefully the project's going to keep ticking away and uh, I might have you on again at some point. Cool. Thank you very much for the invitation. I was really happy to get Florent on the show because I think Asteroid OS is a really great project and I've got real high hopes for it for the future. And apparently that was the first time he's ever been on a podcast. So that's pretty cool. And uh, I do very much hope to speak to him uh, at some point in the future. So on to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone for supporting this show and the main show on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And just a quick mention that on Patreon now there is a $5 reward which is ad-free feeds, ad-free shows, basically, no adverts. So at the moment, this show doesn't have any adverts, so it doesn't make much difference, but the main show does have adverts, so that's uh, well worth checking out if you haven't heard that on the main show yet. And also don't forget about Foss Talk Live. That's coming up on the 9th of June, so by the time you hear this, it's going to be in a few days. So uh, it is sold out, but it's in a pub in King's Cross in London. So if you go there, worst case scenario is you'll end up just hanging out with people and not seeing the shows. But realistically, most people who go will get in. Pretty much everyone has the past couple of years. So uh, if you're there, then uh, I do look forward to meeting you. Come and say hello. 
I think that's everything. So let's crack straight on with Richard Brown from OpenSUSE. OpenSUSE Leap 15 has just been released, and uh, that was the primary reason to get him on. Uh, so let's hear that now. Thank you very much for joining me, Richard. Thank you very much, Joe. So OpenSUSE Leap 15 has been released, and it's a fairly big release because um, apart from anything else, the number has changed. You were at 43.2, or were you? Now you're at 15. What's going on with that? We were at 42.3, um, which, uh, yeah, to kind of... Do you want the long version of the story or the short version? Uh, well, either. Either. Okay, so, yeah, when we when we started building Leap, um, it was, you know, it's a whole new distribution. It's different from the old OpenSUSE distributions. So it's based on SUSE Linux Enterprise, so we wanted to go and have the version number reflect that. But OpenSUSE had used version 12 before, so 42 was based on 12. The reason we ended up picking 42 was, um, for those people, well, if you're into your open SUSE history, um, the first version of SUSE Linux was 4.2. Uh, the first version of Yast, our, our configuration management tool was 0.42. We've had a thing for like this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference of, you know, the ultimate answer. So when we didn't know what version we were going to call it, we didn't know what name to call this new distro, we, we kind of started calling it Project 42. Um, I, I think I started it. I was drunk at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so then the, the, we gave, you know, Leap became the name picked by the community and then we were like coming up with the version numbers and, um, yeah, it stuck. The, the, I, in fact, I, I have actually voted to change it to like Leap version one, but, uh, yeah, 42 stuck and it, it was, it was there. But at the time, like we were thinking like, oh, it would be awesome if like Suzu would just like skip a version number or two and then we could like synchronize on 14 or something like that. But, you know, who's expecting SUSE to change their version numbering scheme for, for the enterprise distribution? And then last year, SUSE decided to change their version numbering scheme for their enterprise distribution. So SUSE Enterprise is jumping from SLE 12 to SLE 15. And so we're like, okay, well, yeah, should we have 43 or should we just be sensible and, you know, really show that relationship between Leap and SLE and have the version numbers sync up? So that's, that's why it's 15 now is it's, yeah. That's what SUSE is using for SLEE. It makes sense for us to do the same. And so that's coming out in a few months, the enterprise version, and you'll be able to upgrade to it from OpenSUSE Leap, won't you? Exactly. In, in fact, the way it's worked internally, because SUSE give OpenSUSE all of the source code for SLEE while they're developing it, SLEE uh, 15 is in like GMC phase right now. Like They're testing it for the, the, the last candidate today. And assuming that gets approved, it's going to be like a couple of weeks of you know, certifications and checking with partners and stuff like that. So from a code perspective, it's done. So from a code perspective, that's how OpenSUSE's shipped Leap 15, where we have. Um, but we know the code base is all the same. So we've already been testing the migrations inside SUSE. So you'll be able to do a, an in-place upgrade, actually. Just download the, the registration tools on your Leap machine, register your Leap machine as a SLE one, zip it up and it becomes sleep. And so it's kind of uh, like the old drug dealer thing, isn't it? Give them the first hit for free and then get them hooked and then they'll uh, want to get the support and everything from sleep. Is that the idea behind it? From the Suzu perspective, that's the idea behind it. Um, there's also kind of uh, other kind of nice fringe benefits too, because of course uh, the community leap, you know, apart from the community have contributed to leap a heck of a lot of additional packages. So I'm expecting that there'll be some pushback from Slee customers who you know get hooked on leap, want to move to Slee, but have a hard time moving to Slee because Slee doesn't have all of the packages they want. 
so that'll you know help push SUSE along to maybe include some more of the the community's packages from Leap into Sleep. What sort of thing are we talking about there then? Oh well, like the the really obvious example is something like KDE, um, you know, where there is no KDE in in SUSE the enterprise desktop at all. Um, but there is in Leap. All right, because it's kind of the default in Leap. If you just go next, next, next through the installer, it suggests KDE over GNOME. They they kind of side by side, but it is that's what's selected by default, and that so that's what I went for when I installed it. So I didn't realize that there was no KDE in um, Slay then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the it's one of those one of those cases where it really shows how OpenSUSE and SUSE are kind of independent from each other. You know, the community is is incredibly passionate about KDE, and it's a big part of the the OpenSUSE family and story. And it's not actually available in any of of SUSE's enterprise products as a supported option. They have now moved it into or copied it from OpenSUSE into Package Hub. Um, so into the, uh, a bit like uh, Epel for, for from Fedora for uh, for Rel, but the difference being is this is actually curated by SUSE. So they you know they have a version there that was you know made by OpenSUSE and is like guaranteed to not break your SLE subscription and certifications and the like. Um, but yeah, with with this whole kind of leap to SLE migration thing, I expect to kind of see more cross pollination and, and sort of yeah yeah working both ways and that kind of thing. So one thing that I really like about this release is you've got one image that you download and it's got both desktops and it's got the server and also this transactional server. So you don't have to necessarily decide straight away which image you want to download because it's just everything's there. Yep, that, that's our way of doing things. Um, it, uh, we have no no plans on, on changing that. That's actually one another thing that's different from us and Slee because Slee have gone for their enterprise customers a very different route of having a much smaller installation media and then lots of sort of add-ons and modules all using their, their customer center infrastructure. Um, but for OpenSUSE, this sort of big unified distro where you, you pick what you want is what we think our users want. So what the headline new features then? in uh, Leap 15? Uh, well, you just mentioned well, the second of the two ones I had noted down here. So yeah, Leap to Sleep migrations, um, the, the transactional updates, so the, the transactional server stack is, is a, a huge part, which I can go into some detail if you want. Or... Yeah, it's a read-only file system then. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, read-only BTRFS. Um, we've, uh, well, we, I, I can be a bit selfish and say I um, restructured a lot of the default BTFS layout on, on OpenSUSE. So, you know, we used to have BTFS with like 20 or 30 different sub-volumes. Um, it's now down to like 10 because uh, we did a lot of work changing packages so they're not misusing VAR, not putting not putting stuff that's like of system importance in a variable location. So things like the RPM database is no longer on VAR and actually sitting in USR. So we can then say, you know, these folders, you know, USR and, and you know, lib, et cetera, are read-only. There's, you know, they're not going to change while the system's booted. And then stuff like VAR and ETC, you know, can be written to and, and sort of doesn't have to be atomic. Um, and then we have our, our transactional update uh, stack, which basically um, uh, uses BTFS and Snapper. But instead of Snapper kind of taking before and after and changing the running system, we create a new BTFS snapshot, so separate from the running system. We patch that snapshot. So the running system is still running, no modifications happening to it, no changes, no, you know, no libraries getting replaced under the hood. But all those changes are getting written into this separate snapshot. 
which is then flagged to be the default snapshot on next boot. So you reboot, you get your completely new operating system underneath, um, and it all yeah, works in sort of one single atomic operation. If the booting fails, it rolls back automatically. So, you know, it's kind of the completely harmless, safeless, safe way to move it. And yeah, it's awesome. It really is. And to what extent is this inspired by what Red Hat are doing? Uh, it's inspired by the same needs, um, you know, obviously, but, you know, there's there's a, a, a trend for that. I mean, the original purpose for the original use case for transactional update was for SUSE container as a service platform and, and open SUSE Cubic. So uh, kind of like CoreOS or, or Red Hat Atomic, where the, the expectation is most of your workloads are going to be containers and you just want to have a like fire and forget and admin free OS um, and maybe like a whole fleet and, and you know massive clusters of these things. You don't want to be maintaining them at all. But the way that like, for example, yeah, Red Hat are doing it with Atomic is of course they've, they've reinvented packaging. You know, you've got OS trees and they're converting RPM to OS tree and you're, um, there's a lot of, uh, additional sort of educational and infrastructure overhead of that of how do third parties add software to an OS tree based distribution? Um, you know, unless they're using something like Flatpak. How do you modify that? How do you certify that? How do you use it with your existing upgrade tools, your existing like nerd repositories in an enterprise environment, that kind of thing? With the, the SUSE open SUSE way of transactional updates, we're still using traditional RPMs. So all of the options you'd normally have for working with third-party software still apply. You can add a repository. You can install software from that repository. I mean, you know, all the, all the kind of usual flexibility you have of dealing with software is still there. You're not having to reinvent the packaging wheel, but it's still happening atomically and you can roll it back. Also, this approach by being file system based, um, we avoid the really long boot times that like uh, OS tree has because you're just flipping to a different BTRFS subvolume. It's a normal bootable environment in there. So our system boots at the same speed as a normal system would normally boot. Does that mean then that any changes that you want to make or any additional packages you install are going to require a reboot every time? Yep, it would. Um, so, I mean, that's why the, the original use case being from like the containerized world, you know, the assumption is you're not going to be changing which software you have on your system that often. Um, so that's why we also call it the, like the transactional server. Like the idea is really you know, a server OS where you're unlikely to be adding and removing packages willy nilly. What you're more likely to be doing is actually running updates regularly, you know, to keep the system patched. Um, and in that case, actually, that whole thing is fully automated. So it'll patch itself and it'll reboot itself. For the case of, of wanting to, uh, yeah, change software a lot, the assumption would be using containers. In fact, I did a, a hack week project at SUSE a couple of uh, weeks before we started putting this inside OpenSUSE, where I, basically played with the idea of taking this and turning it into an OpenSUSE desktop environment and doing everything in, in flatbacks, which from a technology perspective works fine. I mean, it's in that case really similar to what Fedora, uh, Silverblue are now doing, just with sort of all the benefits of our stack versus the atomic one. Could Snaps fit into that at all? Yeah, they could. Snaps would work as well in, in theory. Like that's kind of one nice option with this is we somebody could take what we've done with this transactional server turn it into a desktop just by like adding the OpenSUSE desktop pattern of their choice and then add the user space applications using Flatpak, Snaps or App Image based on their own choice. So at the moment, this is that would all be kind of DIY, just take Leap15 or Tumbleweed and do it yourself. But if if that's really something people want to do, I really would like the idea of, of seeing that kind of grow legs in OpenSUSE. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. 
One thing that struck me while reading the press release for Leap 15 was the sort of non-committal language regarding the support length. It was kind of, you know, we're aiming for this, we're aiming for that. What exactly is the support length? Because with Ubuntu, you know, you get five years and, and with Rail, it's whatever, 10 years or whatever. So what exactly is the support length for Leap 15? Okay, I um, I got to explain why it's like it is. It, this is one of those weird things. In fact, you you probably have a similar situation with, uh, well, yeah, well, you have you have a similar situation with sleep because that's why we're non-committal with it with with open with sleep as well. Um, you know, from the the sleep side of things, um, you know, Susan know that they're going to support their um the enterprise code base for fifteen for you know ten years plus. But they don't at this time today on the, you know, on the impending release of SLEE 15 know the exact schedule when it comes to service packs. Um, so, you know, when the next service pack is and when the next major release will be. That becomes a bit of a problem for Leap, um, to be able to answer that question because the Leap support model is to basically be aligned with, so not perfectly match, but basically echo whatever SUSE are doing with their service packs. So. They're going to do annual service packs. We're going to do annual service packs, but we will only continue to do those annual service packs and support them um, until the next SLEE major release. We're not going to do like SUSE do with the enterprise product and support two major code bases at the same time. So until we know when SLEE 16 is coming out, I can't guarantee exactly how long we're going to be supporting the Leap 15 code base. I know it's going to be at least three years. No question about that. I would actually expect it to be more like four, um, especially if you look at how long we've supported 42.3 and how, uh, for 42 and how long we'll be supporting 42.3. That will, I think, just be shy of four years. And we started kind of 42 a year late because it was after SLEE had already released service pack one of SLEE 12. So it's roughly around about what you're going to get from Ubuntu, but not quite. And we don't know exactly. Yeah. I honestly do not know exactly. This is something that we're talking about with Susa to, you know, maybe, uh, get a, a better, clearer picture with, but it's, it's one of those where, you know, they're constantly listening to their customer needs and, and, you know, they might be, uh, you know, yeah, Slee 16 might be closer or further away depending on, on kind of what the market wants. And that therefore has an impact on what we can say in, in open Susa because we're, we're kind of more, yeah, following them with that. Fair enough. So. In terms of cloud instances, um, I default to DigitalOcean because it's just really easy to to use. And there are various distros on there, and uh, OpenSUSE Leap is not one of them. And so I had a quick look around to see other cloud providers, and a few of them do offer Slee, but it seems that OpenSUSE isn't really um, supported by any of the, the public clouds. Is that something that you're bothered about? Is it something that you're working on and care about? Yeah, totally. So, like, in the case of DigitalOcean, like, like, we recognize the problem because I think we're, like, the request for OpenSUSE is now, like, the top voted distro request on DigitalOcean and has been for, like, months. Um, we've been working with DO. Um, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but from our perspective, you know, we think we've done everything they've asked of us to get the support on there. Um, and therefore I really do not know at this point what is, is holding things up. Um, you know, there were some issues with our, how we package cloud in it and the like, but we've done everything asked of us and we're just waiting to see where that is. But one thing that was really nice with the Leap 15 release, because just generally speaking, not just with DigitalOcean, but across the board, you know, this has been a topic that I've been worrying about. Leap 15 launched with day zero support on Linode. Like we hit the button launching Leap 15 and they hit the button launching Leap 15 on Linode at the same time. 
And we're really keen to do kind of more of that with more uh, cloud providers going forward because it's been an absolute dream working with them. Oh, well, that's good to hear because not many people these days seem to really be looking to run on-premises because it's just so easy to use these cloud providers and just spin it up on demand and then destroy it when you don't need it anymore. So I think that in order to grow the user base, that would be a, a very good start, certainly with the the um, server version of it. Um, but on the desktop, um, the you can get this pre-installed on Tuxedo machines, can't you? That was something we also worked with. So we, we set ourselves a goal last year um, in our, our annual board meeting of like trying to get like one hardware provider and, and one cloud provider at least um, by this time next year. And yeah, we, we achieved that with with, Linode, with Tuxedo and Linode. Again, really nice working with them. Um, in fact, the Tuxedo machines, I think they're even going to be laser engraving our logo on some of their laptop lids if you want. So that's going to be fun. Oh, Nice. One concern that I have with Tuxedo is I heard a horror story about Ubuntu running on them where they'd basically butchered the image and, and broken quite a lot of stuff there. Um, did you get a chance to actually QA it properly? This is one of the things that was, that's was that been really nice with working with them because um, I, I don't know anything about the horror stories, but but I definitely got the impression that there was some sort of history with, with them and, and Ubuntu and, and the intentions there, perhaps. Um, and they actually first approached us um, asking questions about support and the like um, in the kind of latter stages of developing 42.3. And they had some prototypes already up and running and they were kind of showing us what they were thinking of doing with our distro and, and what they were thinking of shipping. And there was, um, you know, a fair bit of sort of extensive modification going on, which, you know, in the open SUSE case of things, you know, we, we have our, our trademark policy. So we're like, okay, from the board perspective, like, you know, it's open source. You can do what you want, but, you know, we don't want you calling it open SUSE if you're going to go, you know, change a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and that, that really started the dialogue where we, they, they started working really closely with us. Um, so when we started Leap 15, they were testing it sort of right from the beginning, therefore able to influence a developer 15. Therefore, they didn't need to change that much. Um, at the same time, uh, in our build service, we gave them their own, uh, kind of semi-official tuxedo repository in the build service. Where right now that's where they're packaging their their customizations, which are mostly limited to things like wallpapers and desktop themes and the like. So nothing that intrusive. And uh, you know, to be honest, from the open source perspective, we'd even be happy having those themes and wallpapers in the main distro. Um, you know, just obviously not installed on non tuxedo laptops, because then you know we could just maintain it and QA it all together. But the diff on on these new laptops with fifteen is is incredibly small, and it's uh, yeah a good success story in kind of how. Any old company can just work with the open source community to help shape it to be what they need it to be. Oh, cool. So before we wrap it up, I'd better ask you about uh, this spacewalk fork. Do you know much about this? I, I do, actually. I was involved. I mean, this is a topic really close to my heart, in fact, because uh, way back when, when I was just a packager in OpenSUSE, I had desires to package Spacewalk in OpenSUSE. And there's a, there's a wonderful pull request you can find where the pull request was rejected for being like one of the worst packages any of our maintainers had ever seen. <laughs> um, so I've always kind of felt Spacewalk was the package that got away from me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky beast of software. Um, but the, the team inside SUSE have tamed it. I mean, they've been building SUSE manager based on Spacewalk for, for years now. Uh, but one of the frustrations they've, they've had for, for growing over the last couple of years 
years is is real difficulty getting any of their submissions accepted back upstream with the sort of the Red Hat controlled spacewalk project. At the time, in the, you know, the last year or two, you know, Red Hat were announced were making it very clear that they wanted to find alternative maintainers. So, you know, SUSE volunteered, and from the community side of OpenSUSE, I was kind of involved in some of those negotiations. Um, but yeah, it uh, it didn't work out. The paragraph in question has now disappeared from the spacewalk website. And so kind of as a, as a result, just to kind of make sure that we're doing, that SUSE is doing it properly and actually kind of keep Spacewalk going forward as a proper open source project where, where not just SUSE and OpenSUSE can contribute to it, but as, you know, the rest of the Spacewalk community can work with it too. That's, yeah, that's now the, the uni project, which is a fork of Spacewalk plus all of the stuff that uh, SUSE have already done in, in SUSE Manager. It's a shame that it sounds like corporate interests have sort of being put before the whole open source community spirit there with Red Hat and SUSE. Absolutely. It, it, it was, I think, yeah, well, definitely heartbreaking from our side. We tried really, really hard to, to avoid that, um, even to the point of, of sort of volunteering, like, you know, okay, you know, we'll take over the maintainership, but if you guys need to have like your own branch covering like the, the reduced feature set that you need for, you know, your corporate needs, you know, we'll do that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's Red Hat's code base, it's Red Hat's trademark, it's their decision to what they do with it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on and giving me your time. Um, where can people find out more about OpenSUSE? Uh, on the OpenSUSE website, so www.opensuse.org, um, or for Cubic and the transactional update part on uh, cubic.opensuse.org with a K. Okay, great. Well, yeah, hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you very much, Joe. It was great to catch up with Richard. I haven't spoken to him since I saw him in person, I think, at uh, OGCAMP, which was uh, quite a while ago. Um, I should have probably mentioned OGCAMP in the admin section as well, because that's coming up on the 18th and 19th of August in Sheffield in the north of England. And there's a call for papers open at the moment. So if you want to speak there, then uh, do get involved with that. You've got a couple of weeks left, I think, to submit your talk. But that will do it for this episode then. I'll be back with the guys in a week for the Foss Talk Live episode. And uh, I'll be back in two weeks for another episode of this. So until then, see you later. <laughs>